can open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Some kids are excited to leave. Adults, sorry, you have to stay with me. So you can't leave. We don't have anything for your age group this morning. So Galatians chapter 4. I'm not much into Greek philosophy or math or science. Some of you are. But the Greek philosopher Aristotle was one of the famous um, philosophers to articulate what's called the law of non-contradiction when it comes to logic and science. And, and you know intuitively what the law of non-contradiction is. I don't even need to tell you what it is, but let me tell it to you scientifically. The law of non-contradiction says A cannot be not A. So let me give you an example. You cannot say, today I came in and I'm sitting on plastic chairs with plastic seats. Is that true? What are you sitting on? Padded seats. So you cannot say, I came in today and I'm sitting on padded seats and at the same time I'm sitting on plastic seats. You can't say... Well, I have a pet who's a dog, and he's also a rabbit. Now, both of those are true, right? There's such a thing as a dog, and there's such a thing as a rabbit, but they can't coexist at the same time, at least not yet, okay? You can't say, today is July 1st, but it's also September 15th. Now, both of those are true, right? There is a July 1st, there's a September 15th, but they can't exist at the same time, on the same day. So you intuitively know the law of non-contradiction, these things that cannot coexist. Let me give you some other examples. You can't say to your wife, I love you, and I don't love you. Okay, it doesn't make sense. Charlie is married to Barb, but Barb is not married to Charlie. You can't say that. Or how about this? The grill at River City opens at 11 a.m., but they will begin serving between 9 and 10. Some of you just now caught that. Or how about John will be late for the party? John died yesterday. Can John be late to the party if he's already dead? No. There are just a few things that they may be true, but they cannot coexist at the same time. It's called the law of non-contradiction. Now, why do I bring this up? You intuitively know this. You operate on this on a daily basis, that two things can't coexist that are opposites. What Paul does for us in this passage of Scripture is he's going to set beside us two things, two worldviews, two ways of looking at life that cannot coexist. He's going to present to us a law of non-contradiction, two things that cannot coexist. As a matter of fact, they're diametrically opposed to one another. So let's see what Paul has to say. Paul is somewhat bringing everything he's talked about in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 to a close. He's been building this big argument about how we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, how if you go back under the law, you're in bondage, how you need to have Christ as your Savior and not go back under the, the enslavement of the law. And so he's bringing this all to a close, and let's see how he does this. So let's pick up in verse 21. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the most difficult passage in Galatians to understand, so I'm going to try to help us navigate what Paul means by using this allegory of the two women. But let me just get you right to Paul's point. Here's Paul's point that he's trying to show us of two things that cannot coexist. God's free gift of salvation cannot coexist with our failed attempts to earn salvation. So you've got two things side by side. You've got God's free gift in salvation that he gives to us as a gift that cannot exist or coexist with our failed attempts and our human effort to try to earn that salvation. It's either a salvation by grace or it's something you earn by works, but those two things cannot coexist. And so Paul has been over backwards over the past few chapters, hammering home the point. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. You're accepted on the righteousness of Christ. It's not by what you do. It's not by what you can earn. It's all about the grace of Christ. And as a matter of fact, if you want to go back and and live under the law again to try to earn that salvation, it's like being in a prison cell. It's like being in bondage. And so that's the dichotomy. And so he brings this whole argument to a close. And this is what he asks in in verse 21. Tell me. You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What's he saying? Paul's saying, listen, Galatians. Do you really know what you're getting into here? Do you really want to go back under the law? Do you really want to add circumcision and dietary laws and all these things related to the law of Moses? Do you really want to go that route? Because if you go that route, it's not going to end well for you. If you desire to go back under the law, it will enslave you. Do you really know what you're getting into? That's the question he puts before them. Do you really know what you're getting into? Do you really know what legalism brings? And so Paul is going to lay forth a case, an argument. He's going to bring this whole thing to a close. And it's going to unfold in three steps, three stages, three um, aspects, if you will. 
And so we need to know our Old Testament to understand this. And so here's the first thing that Paul does. He gives us the historical situation. In verses 22 through 23, he gives us the historical situation going back to Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 17 to show us the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and the birth of Ishmael. Now, you may remember that story, but Paul uses this as a very familiar episode in the life of Israel to illustrate his point. So he's going to give us the historical situation. Notice what he says in verse 22. For it is written. Okay, where is it written? It's in written, in Galatians, or written in Genesis chapter 16 and 17. Abraham had two sons. Okay, who are the two sons? Ishmael and Isaac. One by a slave woman, Hagar. One by a free woman, Sarah. Okay, so let me just briefly recap the historical situation. We don't have time to jump all the way back in Genesis and read that story. It's a very fascinating story. But you remember the story. Abraham and Sarah are getting pretty old. Sarah is barren. She's not able to have children. But God gives a promise to Abraham. What does God say to Abraham? All the way back in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, God gives this promise to Abraham. He brought him outside. That's God. brought Abraham outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, you're going to have tons of offspring. You're going to have tons of children. I'm promising that I'm going to give you a child. Well, by and by, time goes by and what happens? Sarah doesn't conceive. So Abraham and Sarah concoct a plan. God really does help those who help themselves, so let's help God along because he's not coming in in the clutch the way we want him to. Let's concoct a plan. So back then, it was not uncommon to have surrogate mothers. So basically, Sarah says to Abraham, hey, we've got a slave woman, Hagar. She's from Egypt. Why don't you go have sex with her as a surrogate? Let her bear children, and then we can speed up this whole process because, after all, God's not coming through the way we want him to. We could probably speed this along in our impatience. And so because of their impatience and not trusting in a sovereign God, basically Abraham gives in to his wife, and that's what happens. He goes and he says, okay, I will have relations with Hagar, the slave woman, and try to speed this thing along. And so she bears a son, Ishmael. And so they're impatient. God really does help those who help themselves. It's not outright atheism. It's not like Abraham's denying God, but he's thinking to himself, you know, I kind of know better than God does and how this whole thing works. God's not coming through in the timing I want him to come through. God's not doing it in the way I want him to, so let me help God out. Have you ever thought that before? (laughs) Let me just kind of help God out here because he's not doing it the way I want him to. What happens when you help God out? Does it usually go well for you? No. And so Abraham tries to help God out, and Ishmael's born. Okay, 14 years later, when Sarah's 90 years old, think about this, she's 90 years old, she miraculously gives birth to Isaac. And what does she name Isaac? Laughter. 
She names Isaac laughter because it's, it's laughable, it's unbelievable that a 90-year-old woman would conceive and give birth to a son. So Isaac is the miracle baby. He's the baby born of the promise. He's the baby born supernaturally. He's the one that God has chosen to be the true son. So you have two sons. You've got Hagar's son, Ishmael, that was born out of impatience, trying to speed things up, trying to get God to move on your timetable. It's human effort. That's how Hagar and Ishmael... That's what they're representing. And then you've got Isaac, the son of the promise. And Ishmael was not the son of the promise. In Genesis 17, 18 through 19, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. The covenant's not going to be with Ishmael. The covenant's going to be with Isaac, the one that was born of the promise, the one that was born supernaturally, the one that was, that was God's plan and God's timetable and God's miracle, not human effort, not trying to help God out. And so, that's the historical situation that Paul references here. You got two moms, you got two sons, but then what Paul's going to do is he's going to take what actually literally happened in history, and then the second thing he's going to give us is the allegorical interpretation. Now, how do we know this is an allegorical interpretation? Well, the Bible tells us. Look right there at verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free was born through promise. Okay, we just looked at that. Okay, look at verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. I don't know what your translation says. It may say figuratively, taken as an allegory. What does this mean allegorically? An allegory. Does this mean that Paul doesn't believe this literally happened in history? That this was just kind of a made-up event? No, that's not what he's saying. What Paul's saying is, I'm taking what literally happened in the book of Genesis, and I'm going to give a deeper meaning to that. I'm going to show you some allegorical, some symbolic, some figurative ways of looking at that. This can be interpreted allegorically. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to set up a dichotomy between these two moms. A tale of two mothers. A tale of two covenants. A tale of two sons, if you will. And there's opposites going on here. So you've got a covenant of works set up against a covenant of grace. Or just to put it very simply, what man tries to do to earn God's favor and what God does to reach down in sovereign grace and grant us salvation as a free gift. These two things side by side. And he uses Hagar and Sarah as kind of this symbolic way of looking at it. Now, it's very, very interesting. Look at verse 25. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds. Only time that word's used, corresponds. It's a very interesting word. What that word correspond means is to put two things in two columns and compare them side by side. It's literally what the word means to line them up in two columns. So I want you to think about two columns, okay? You can probably think about this. One column is covenant of works. And under the column of covenant of works, you have Hagar, you have Ishmael, you have slavery, you have the present Jerusalem, 
you have Arabia, you have, you, you have bondage. In that category, covenant of works. In the other covenant, the covenant of grace, you've got Sarah, you've got Isaac, you've got freedom, you've got the Holy Spirit's power. So you got these two covenants, these two diametrically opposed things that cannot coexist. Paul's lining them up side by side. And the Judaizers of Paul's day, these, these Jewish false teachers, they would be tracking with Paul's columns. We understand your columns, Paul. We, we've read our Old Testament. Obviously, Hagar was the slave. Obviously, Ishmael was not the son of the promise. Obviously, we're not part of Ishmael at all. We're over here in Isaac's column. We're in the Isaac column. But Paul blows that out of the water and says, no, you're not. Look at what he says. He says in verse 25, Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Okay, we understand that. She, she, she's, she's in Arabia. That's where um, she was banished with Ishmael, and the Ishmaelites kind of populated Arabia. We understand that, but notice what Paul says. She corresponds to the, what does your Bible say? Present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, wait a minute, Paul, you're messing up the columns. You're actually saying that Hagar and slavery and Ishmael corresponds to present-day Jerusalem? Yes. Present-day Jerusalem in Paul's day, that whole Jewish system and the sacrificial system and the circumcision and the dietary laws and all of these things, all these legalistic things that these Jewish Judaizers were putting their hope in, Paul says, that's not in the covenant of grace. That's over here under Ishmael and Hagar. And they would have been shocked. They would have been offended how dare you put us in this column? We're the true Israelites. We're the true Jews. We're the true Jerusalem. And what does Paul say in verse 26? The Jerusalem above is free. And she's our mother. So here's the bottom line Paul's saying in these two covenants, these two columns. If you want to operate in Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai, all it's going to lead you, Galatians, is in bondage. You're going to be in slavery. Is this really what you want to do? Or do you want to be in the other column, the covenant of grace, which is about the promise, which is about God's supernatural grace. It's about the free gift of salvation. You see, this column is about trying to speed things up and earn God's favor by doing things in human potential. And it always is going to fail. This column is about God's sovereign grace, the free gift of salvation, what God does to save us as sinners. And this brings freedom. This one brings slavery. This one brings freedom. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about this column. Okay, Listen to what Spurgeon says about the column of slavery. Charles Spurgeon said, The law is the most rigorous master in the world. No wise man would love its service, for after all you've done, the law never gives you a thank you, but it says, keep on going, sir, go on, sir. And listen to his analogy. The poor sinner trying to be saved by law is like a blind horse 
going round around a mill and never getting a step further, but only being continually whipped. The faster he goes, the more work he does, the more he's tired, so much the worse for him. That's what Spurgeon's saying. If you want to earn your salvation by the law, it's like a blind horse going around in circles being whipped by its master saying, speed up, speed up, go faster. And all you're doing is going around in circles. It's a failed attempt in human effort to try to earn God's favor. It only ends in bondage. But the Jerusalem above is a metaphor for God's people. Notice it doesn't say the Jerusalem that's going to come one day. There's going to be the new Jerusalem. He's talking about the present Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that's above. But whether you're Jew or Gentile, you've been enfolded into God's family. And Paul metaphorically says, we're the Jerusalem that's above. We're God's people. Uh, the writer of Hebrews mentions this in Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 23. He talks about how we've come to, to the people of God in this new Jerusalem. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that's above, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, that's the church, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So Paul gives a contrast between these two columns and uses it as an allegory, a symbolism, to show the futility of trying to earn salvation versus the freedom that comes in God's grace. And then in verse 27... Paul's going to quote from Isaiah 54, verse 1. And this passage in Isaiah is about a barren woman who gets to rejoice because she's going to get pregnant. She's been barren. She's not been able to have children. All of a sudden, she gets pregnant. She rejoices. Now, obviously, that's a, that's a tie back to Sarah. Sarah was barren. She got pregnant. She rejoiced and called her son laughter, called her son Isaac. But what he's saying is, is that we're, we can rejoice, just like a barren woman who finds out she gets pregnant, we can rejoice as Christians because we're not part of this column anymore. We're part of Isaac's column. We are part of God's plan of grace. You see, the two covenants, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, have different vocabulary. In the covenant of works, God says, thou shalt not and thou shalt. And if you, don't, if you don't measure up to what God's law is, you don't make it. And remember Paul's argument, you cannot do the law 100% perfectly 100% of the time. So in this column, it's all about what you should and shouldn't do and that you're not able to do. In this column... The covenant of grace, it's not thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's God saying, I will. I will be your God. I will deliver you. I will give you eternal life. It's all of what God does to save us in those two columns. So Paul has given us the historical situation. Remember back to Genesis the two moms, the two sons, how Abraham and Sarah tried to speed things up in human effort by trying to produce an heir, it didn't work. Okay, I'm going to secondly give you the allegorical interpretation. It represents two different types of, of covenants, a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. But then the third thing Paul does, he gives us the practical application in verses 28 through 31. The practical application, how does this work itself out? 
Well, in verse 28, he makes a very positive statement. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Okay, Galatians, okay, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are like Isaac. We're the children of promise. How was Isaac born? He was born supernaturally. It actually says that. Go down and look at verse 29. He was born according to the Spirit. Isaac was born supernaturally of the Spirit. He was the miracle baby of promise. And we are like Isaac in the sense that as Christians, we've been supernaturally, spiritually born again by God's grace. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be what? He's caused us to be born again through a living hope, through the resurrection of, our, of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're born again. We're of Isaac. Now, what's the practical implications of being? If you're, if you're a born-again Christian and you're in the covenant of grace, and you operate under the whole issue of it's a free gift of salvation, I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, God gives it to me freely. How, how does that work itself out with those who are over here in this category who may think they're saved, but they're operating as Ishmael, not Isaac? Well, here's the first thing Paul says. Realize that at times you may actually be persecuted by legalists who think they're Christians but are not that will actually persecute true Christians. Persecution is not going to come from outside at times. It may come from actually people who are religious, if you can even imagine that. Now, notice what he says there in verse 29. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, Ishmael persecuted him who was born according to the promise. Okay, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Now, where do we see that? Historically, where did that happen? You have to go back to Genesis 21. Remember, Isaac is born, and Abraham's excited, and Abraham throws a party for Isaac. And it's about 15 years later, so Ishmael is a 15-year-old boy. Genesis 21, 8 through 10. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, Ishmael, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. What's going on here? In the original Hebrew text, Ishmael is Isaacing. What's Isaac's name mean? Laughter. In that passage of scripture, Ishmael is laughing, is mocking the younger brother. Now, it's not like he's a goofy teenager, a 15-year-old laughing at the little toddler who's tripping over his shoes. The way it's worded in the original language, it's a persecuting, mocking, hating type of laughter. He was persecuting his younger brother. So notice what Paul says. Just like it happened back then, look at verse 29. So it is also now. It's happening right now, Paul says. 
You've got those who are of Ishmael, those who are legalists, those who try to earn their salvation by works or trying to put their performance before God. They will at times persecute those who simply believe it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Because here's the issue. Those people who are of Ishmael are very insecure, they're very legalistic, they're very judgmental, and they get very uncomfortable when you start talking about grace. You're getting a little bit too crazy over here on the grace side. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You can't tell me that it's just simply God's free gift of salvation. There's got to be something we have to do. You've got to look the right way, act the right way. You've got to act like me. And if you don't act like me in my legalistic way of doing things, then I'm going to persecute you. I'm going to put pressure on you. And Paul says that's what the Judaizers are doing to you right now, Galatians. The Ishmaelites are persecuting Isaac, as it is today, there may be some people that are very legalistic, very judgmental, very much wrapped up in how they think things are that will actually persecute you. They'll put pressure on you. They will make fun of you. Or they may judge you. So that's the first practical application. Paul says, listen, you need to expect it. Sometimes religious, legalistic, fundamentalist type people will actually persecute true Christians that believe in God's grace, as crazy as that may sound. Now, what's the second thing that we see in here? Practical application. Verse 30, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Now, obviously, back in the story, Sarah was upset. She says to Abraham, cast out the slave woman. And Abraham does. What's Paul say? To the Galatians. What's he saying? Cast out the slave woman. Here's what Paul's saying. Galatians, you've got to get rid of these false teachers. You've got to get rid of the Judaizers. You've got to get rid of the legalists who are perverting the gospel of grace. Now think about this for a moment. There's a lot of things in church life we can put up with. We can put up with sin We can put up with failures. We can put up with struggles. We can put up with idiosyncrasies and quirks. There's a lot of things that we don't like about each other that we can can kind of put up with. And and Paul's not here making a categorical statement. Okay, we need to start going down the line and kicking people out of church for any and every reason. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if there's a group of people in the church who are perverting the gospel, who are being legalistically perverting the gospel, they need to be dealt with. And it may mean to actually remove them. Because listen to the strong language Paul used at the very beginning of this book. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. How did he start this entire conversation back at the very beginning? Go back to Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Galatians 1 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, let him be sent to hell, let him be damned to hell. As we've said before, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, what Paul's saying is a perverted, false gospel, especially of extreme legalism, needs to be dealt with in the life of the church because it will destroy, it will devour. Now, in verse 31, Paul brings this entire argument to a close. So, verse 28 is a positive statement. Verse 28, you are Isaac. 
positive. This is who you are. Verse 31, negative. Brothers, we are not. What are we not? We're not children of the slave, but of the free woman. He's basically saying, listen, there's two categories. There's two columns. There's the covenant of works, Ishmael, Hagar, Mount Sinai, slavery. We are not of that column. We're of the covenant of grace. We're of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's God's free gift of salvation. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We simply receive it as a free gift of grace. That's who you are, Galatians. Do you really want to go back to this column? If you go back to this column, it's only slavery. You see, there's two competing forces in this life. There's the religion of Ishmael, and there's the gospel of Isaac. What's the religion of Ishmael? What does Ishmael represent? The religion of Ishmael says, I can do things in my own power to somehow try to earn God's acceptance. And every time you do that, you're going to fail miserably. The religion of Ishmael is a human-centered, man-centered, natural way of trying to earn salvation with God. And it fails miserably, and it only leaves you in bondage. That's the religion of Ishmael. The gospel of Isaac says it's by grace alone. It's a free gift that you receive. There's nothing you can do to earn. How was Isaac born? Was Isaac born out of Sarah and Abraham doing all these things to try to help God along? No, she was way past childbearing age, and God miraculously birthed Isaac in her womb. The same way God saves us by grace, not by anything that we can do. So you've got the religion of Ishmael, and you've got the gospel of Isaac. If you pursue the religion of Ishmael, you're only going to end up in bondage. If you pursue the gospel of Isaac, it will always end in freedom and eternal life and grace. So don't be an Ishmael. Be an Isaac. How do you become an Isaac? Well, instead of trusting in your own power to save you, you trust in Christ alone to save you. You receive salvation as a free gift alone of what God can give you. You see, God's free gift in salvation cannot coexist with our failed attempts to earn salvation. Trust in Christ today. Look to him alone. Receive the free gift of salvation. And when you do, it will always lead to freedom. It will always lead to grace. It will always lead to forgiveness. It will always lead to peace with God. This path, it's going to lead in frustration, failure, bondage, and eventually, separation from God for eternity. So you got to choose which column you're going to be in today. Are you going to be in the column of the covenant of works, Ishmael? Or are you going to be in the covenant of grace, Isaac? The only way to do that is to look outside of yourself and receive the free gift of salvation by grace alone in Jesus Christ. And I hope you've done that. If you have trusted Christ for salvation, live in the freedom of the gospel of grace and never go back to that prison cell. Live in the grace that God has given you. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. As we prepare to take our Lord's Supper this morning, let's just spend a few moments in silent prayer praising God for salvation by grace. The supernatural free gift of being born again.
caused us to be born again, and it wasn't by anything we did in our own human power to try to earn it or achieve it. It was simply a free gift of grace. Thank you for your grace in our lives. We're thankful that there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve salvation, but we're like Isaac. We're we're children of the promise. We're children by supernatural birth. We're children that come as a free gift of salvation, not because we earned it or deserve it or did anything to try to speed up the process, but it was simply a gift. Help us to live in the freedom of that. Lord, if there's anybody here today that's in the, in the category of Ishmael, where they're trying hard to earn salvation, they're trying hard to win brownie points with God, they're, they're trying all these different things to somehow measure up, help them see that's bondage. And Lord, would today be the day that they trust in Jesus alone to free them from that. Thank you for the gospel of grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.